Good afternoon and welcome to the panel on RNZ National. And just to this, a severe downpour has caused flooding in Waihi Beach, Western Bay of Plenty. Community Board Chair Ross Gordy says water is flowing over stormwater ponds across the main road and in the northern part of the settlement into a low-lying area. And with us now, we have Alan Soule who is a Western Bay of Plenty District Councillor, also Katikati Waihi Beach Ward Councillor. Alan Kura, uh, good to have you on the panel. Uh, tell us, describe the situation there right now. Right now, it's actually looking really calm and peaceful. There's no rain. There's a heck of a lot of water lying around in some of the lower-lying areas, but um, the water has receded really rapidly. But it certainly came up very rapidly as well, and there are a number of people that are... Um, have been displaced by the water this time and uh, so it's it's just yeah pretty nasty situation yeah. for a lot of people was it just the fact that the rain came down extremely fast and in real intensity yeah basically that's the issue i think it's uh, it's been very heavy um, and very short you know burst of of, of torrential rain and it just overwhelmed everything around the um, the low-lying areas and even in the higher areas there's been obviously cross um, uh, land cross flow that's been an issue as well there was just so much water in one very sharp relatively short um, downpour. Alan any um, evacuations needed to happen? Yes, there are a number of houses that have been evacuated. And, for instance, we have our um, elder housing um, area here that has had a number of the units had to be uh, evacuated. They've got water up to just below their window sills. Um, so in some places it's it's quite high, and that's one of them. Um, and then there are a number of other places that uh, have got water that's gone through the houses. As you know, the other issue is a lot of the houses here are owned. It's a, it's a holiday place, so a lot of the people aren't living here, which is a blessing. Um, but also, you know, some of them won't be aware that their houses are full of water at present. Alan, uh, Alan, thank you very much for being with us uh, and uh, we'll keep in touch with the issue and across the checkpoint as well. That's uh, Alan Sol there, Western Bay of Plenty District Councillor there. So a few houses have been evacuated uh, uh, near Wahi Beach, Western Bay of Plenty. And if you are there in the area, uh, let us know what's happening also. Text me 2101. 11 past four, I see also in the post-cab press conference just now, the government is pumping another 11 million million dollars into a scheme to help businesses purchase fog cannons as the latest data shows an increase in ram raids over the past month but to this other news this afternoon police are using new rules to decide whether to pursue a fleeing driver and a change to a more aggressive policy police commissioner andrew costa said the new framework balanced safety of officers the driver and vehicle occupants and the public with the equally significant need to hold offenders to account that comes into effect today and marks a return to a harder line taken against fleeing drivers. Uh, But Police Commissioner Andrew Costa did say that came with the risk of more deaths and injuries. Nearly 10,000 people and vehicles fled from the police in 2022. That's more than double the number recorded prior to 2020. With us is Chris Carhill, Police Association spokesperson. Chris, kia ora. Yeah, kia ora, good afternoon. What's the sentiment of police working on the ground 
to this comes into effect today? Well, they welcome it. They, they, they welcome the change and, and, shall we say, the balancing back a bit the other way. Uh, but it, they, they also acknowledge it comes with risks. And uh, yeah, this is the problem with you know, fleeing driver policy. I don't think there, there is no perfect policy. Um, you either have no pursuits whatsoever, uh, which is probably the safest, but then um, that seems to drive a change in behaviour, as we've seen, where a lot more people then flee from police, and that creates danger in its own right. It did become more restricted, didn't it, a couple of years ago, after 75 people died uh, in the situations in police chases in the preceding decade. I mean, let's just admit it, that's quite a toll, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it certainly is, and you know we weren't opposed to those changes. I mean, they have pretty serious consequences, well, you know, very serious consequences for everyone involved. Uh, you know, whether it's police, whether it's the far now of those hurt, whether it's the, um, you know, the innocent members of the public caught in the middle of it. So, you know, we there had to be a reset. The the challenge, of course, is the reset seems to have um, created an environment where people think they can flee drivers on any occasion, and that's creating significant risk. In its own right. Stay there, Chris. Let's go around the panel, uh, and we've got more on this as well. Uh, Sue Kedley. Yeah, well, um, kia ora, Chris. But obviously, when you've got 10,000 people fleeing police, you've got to do something. But I guess my question is, is this new hardline policy, is it going to really be a deterrent and bring the numbers down? Or, or the other proposals the government's pursuing, like seizing them and impounding their cars if someone flees police or removing their licence for two years, aren't those likely to be more effective? Look, for some people they will be. I think that the challenge we've seen in the last few years is the people that are fleeing are young juveniles in stolen vehicles who really aren't interested in the penalty. That doesn't really influence their behaviour. So there has to sort of be a mixed approach. You know, I mean, ideally, until we can remotely you know, um, immobilise vehicles, it's always going to be difficult. But police are looking at um, things like, like new road spikes, remotely deployed road spikes, things like this to try and reduce the um, incidents in quicker fashion and less dangerously. But you'd like to think that the idea that someone is actually going to hold them to account if they do flee will have an impact, and that'll have to be watched and, and understood. Alan? Yeah, I think, Chris, the police really are on a hiding to nothing here. I mean, if you know they continue <clears throat> the way that they have been and there's 10,000 people fleeing from them, then obviously that's not ideal, but... You know, this new policy comes obviously with those risks of um, more deaths, which which is you know, which is absolutely terrible. Um, I mean, you know, the idea of um, you know getting rid of those cars off the road, um, you know, whatever happened to Crusher Collins' idea of you know of of getting cars and 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 crushing them, and um, you know, I, it's it it is a very very tough question and um, I would like to think that you know were I in that situation I'd just do the same you know I'd I'd do the right thing but you know I'd drive a Peugeot 308 so I'm not getting away from anybody in a hurry. Final thought Chris? Yeah look the reality when when there was a a significant study done by the Independent Police Complaints Authority only 25% of vehicles that flew, fled from police were actually stolen. So, you know, the idea of having your vehicle impounded or seized may have a bigger influence than we actually <coughs> think. But, 
you know, the, there is no happy medium, unfortunately, and, and there is risk, but it's the public that have been, have been demanding a change, unfortunately, for what they've seen over the last two years. Chris, nice to have you on the programme. Kia ora. That's Chris Carhill, then, Police Association spokesperson. Before we go to our next guest, can I just jump in saying that Alan we heard from before uh, regarding why he beat Alan Soul, uh, he's asking to let everyone know if they're in Waihe Beach and need assistance after flooding, go to the RSA Waihe Beach. Now, that's 99 Beach Road, Waihe Beach. Go to Waihe Beach. All right, now, listening to Chris Carhall there uh, from the Police Association was Youth Development Worker and Rangatahi Advocate Aaron Hendry. Aaron, good to have you on. Kia ora. Sure, how you doing, mate? Very good. So on this um, uh, fleeing driver scenario, you have some concerns about this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first acknowledge it's a, it's a really hard call for the police and, um, you know, totally acknowledge the tensions that kind of exist with this decision. I mean, my initial concerns will definitely be that, you know, this lead, will lead to an increase of deaths. Um, and I think a lot of the focus has been on that driver and, you know, the person who's fleeing, but actually it's not just about them, you know, it's about that wider community. And, you know, when someone starts to flee, there's a huge risk to, to our communities, to, you know, people driving on the roads, the people on the sidewalks walking around, and those police officers yeah. who are pursuing as well. So. But, but Aaron, what seems to have happened is what some were concerned about when it came in, right? Offenders have become more brazen and are taking more risks in their driving behaviour. Is this not a chance to balance that out? Yeah, and I definitely hear that. Um, uh, the other side of that is we've also saved lives. You know, we've had less people die as a result of it. And so, you know, I definitely hear something needs to be done. But is this is this the something is, is the question I'm sitting with. Um, we know that the change that was implemented saved lives. You know, this change, you know, with the increased uh, chases, will, will that do the same? I mean, you know, again, the concerns are there. Very good, Aaron. Thanks for being on the programme. There's Aaron Hendry there, uh, rangatahi advocate, who has some concerns around uh, the fleeing driver and Chris Carhill. It's, it, it's, it comes back to that balance, doesn't it, Sue? Absolutely. And, you know, I guess the other thing, I was just incredulous to read that 10,000 people were fleeing police. You know, what, twice double the numbers from two years. Why? What's going on? Alan, mm. yeah, no, that's that's my question too. Why, why flee? Obviously, if you've got nothing to hide or nothing to worry about, then you know what's what's the point? And um, obviously, people aren't thinking rationally at this time. And I, I, you know, I don't know the numbers, but one is assuming that the majority of these are young kids, and you know, maybe some education is. Needed? I don't know. I 19 don't know. past four of the panel of RNZ National. Alan Blackman and Sue Ketchley with me this afternoon. Thank you so much for all your responses today. Now, National has withdrawn from the medium density residential standards, uh, which were viewed by some as a game changer in helping the country address its chronic housing supply issues. You know, the two big parties getting together. Uh, In 2021, National and Labour, they teamed up to allow buildings of up to three storeys on most sites and cities no resource consent needed. The National Party is denying stepping back from the bipartisan housing policy, which it helped draft. Um, But density along corridors? No problem with that. Mount... Hobson Group is a specialist urban planning and resource management consultancy and the director, Hamish Firth, is with the panel. Hamish, welcome. Good afternoon. What do you make of this? 
I actually think it's really positive. Uh, Auckland Council in 2016 uh, spent three or four years developing what was called the Auckland Unitary Plan, and it's not a bad document. Uh, it also allows for three units per site as a permitted activity without a resource consent. Uh, it also allows for 15,000 hectares of rural land to be zoned future urban to be rolled out over 30 years. So if I look at uh, national having a, good, a better look at this, I think they probably realised the policy they put in place may have uh, needed some a rethink. Uh, it may needed more thought gone into it because Auckland Council had already done it. And so the other thing is that un, Auckland Council's blueprint had been used in Whangarei District and Tauranga District's plan changes for intensification. So a really good blueprint was already in place. I think the three units per site with the very abrupt in-your-face rules were right. more than what we needed. OK, but you do support... A national is still going to support the National Party's statement on urban development. That So that allows for density along those transport corridors. Uh, do, do you agree with that? That's the place to focus density. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's have a look at Green Lane Road uh, West, which is in Auckland, Alexandra Park. You've yep. got 10-storey buildings there. They they fit really well into the landscape. They don't look out of place, and you start to create a community within that apartment building. You've got viable shops and cafes underneath. So you also step outside your front door, and a bus will go past every 10 or 15 minutes. Sue, wasn't that the initial idea, or not the initial idea, but um, one of the great things about um, the utilisation of transport corridors, be it train, bus, you know, high density within those areas? Yeah, well, I think everyone agrees that um, having concentrating density around transport corridors uh, is a great idea and having that mixed-use zoning so you can have homes next to cafes. But... I agree um, entirely that it's it's a good idea. Um, I'm all in favour of giving councils more discretion and flexibility. I think we've had far too much centralisation, too many sort of edicts and mandates, even interference from central government and local government. So um, I, I agree that, that um, you know we should give far more discretion and allow councils to work out how they're going to uh, intensify housing development. Okay, stay there, Hamish. Let's bring Alan in and we'll come back to you. Yeah, I think this sort of um, has bigger implications. Uh, I mean, you know, as Kiwis, one of the things that we all want to do is grow up and be homeowners and, you know, have our half-acre, you know, paradise or quarter-acre paradise or whatever. And I think that's that's just not viable anymore. And I think we are going to have to look to transition to sort of more European style of, you know, apartment living. And, you know, as was said, if you have these clustered around um, transit hubs and stuff, then that does make mm. sense. And, you know, look look at Europe. They pack a heck of a lot more people into a much smaller area than our cities do. So Isn't that the point there, Matt? Because, uh, Hamish, rather, because he, here's the facts, that going up is a lot better than going out because that horizontal infrastructure, going out to those satellites, mm-hmm. that is so much more expensive and it takes a lot longer. So let's look at Drury. Uh, Council last year, Auckland Council approved four plan changes for 330 hectares of land, 30-year development for 60,000 people, including three railway stations. Those railway stations are underway uh, and will be completed. Let's look at Milldale. So that's uh, 
north of Silverdale, uh, sort of west of Oriwa, 3,000 houses. Infrastructure funded by a spe- special purpose vehicle to be paid back by the residents, $1,000 per household over 35 years. So ACC's invested in that. They get a good return on their money. So well-planned, well-funded developments, even if they are on the periphery, that allow for that cluster-type development with good infrastructure, including public transport, can also be part of the mix. So it's not either or. I think we can have both. Sue? Yeah, well, I'm personally not in favour at all of fast-tracking so-called green fields development outside the city limits. It's just going to end up uh, eating up farmland. But surely the key issue, you know, we're going on and on about more, we must fast-track all these houses, but we've got to have the infrastructure development, Mm -hmm. whether it's in the cities, whether it's outside. I mean, we had that horrifying Cumu uh, with 40,000 new homes built, not enough, or I don't know how much investment and infrastructure, but it couldn't And the same cope. amount of traffic as Transmission Gully. Yeah, and it couldn't cope, and massive flooding. I mean, so surely the key issue, get the infrastructure before we do all this frantic fast-tracking of housing development. I've got something to bring up with you, Hamish, if you don't mind, because, you know, you're, you're the specialist in the urban planning. Because right now, uh, there is a lot of intensification already, isn't there? And uh, around where I live, out toward the west of Auckland, you've got the Newland area, uh, it's a huge amount, and a lot of it looks bad. Large dwellings shoehorned into sections and no green spaces. What's the deal here? Yeah, I think what's really important, and this is what scared a lot of people, you know, three houses on a site, 50% site coverage, no resource consent. What people want to see is development that also looks good. So what Auckland Auckland Council require is any development more than three units uh, sort of has an urban design test. You know, does does it face the street? Does it address the street? Do the units have a good outdoor area that faces the right way and gets sun? Are the rubbish bins shielded? So... There are mechanisms in place, and they're not very—they're not difficult to put in place. There are a series of assessment criteria that go into a district plan. Um, I realise that n- and not all development is going to be pretty or beautiful, but th- there is certainly a minimum standard um, in terms of what Auckland's yeah. proposing and does now. Kia ora, Hamish. Nice to have you on the programme. Appreciate it. Uh, Hamish Firth is an urban uh, urban planner from Mount Hobson Group. That's a very good point, though, isn't it, Alan or, and Sue? Because I can point, I'm in Auckland here, I can point to some developments. Let's say, I'm just thinking of one right now. There's an apartment next to Pack and Save Mount Albert, I think it's an Auckland development, designed really beautifully, high intensification, I think it's four or five stories, but done well. well yeah, it can't be that hard, really. Uh, um, you know, the last, What's the problem? Well, the last thing you want is, is these big buildings going up and then looking like rubbish in 10 years' time, you know, because... As so many do. Yeah, and, and, you know, again, the Europeans have got it right here. I mean, all their buildings look like they were built, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah, here's one. Christina says, what is lacking overall is good design and an Absolutely. overall plan, yeah. including how these buildings will look. Carrying it's not showing up when we look at most of the horror stories popping up around Auckland. You can just see, for example, the RNZ Auckland is surrounded by these what might be in the future fairly temporary large apartments. Mm. Um, mm. You know, look, some of them look as if they'll yeah. be the slums of tomorrow. You yeah. know, they're shoddy. I mean, this idea that Hamish was talking about, the urban design test and guy, that's the key.
27 past four, the panel we have, Sue Casley and uh, Alan Blackman. Just uh, another reminder about uh, we went to Waihi Beach at the top of the panel and uh, the commissioner, uh, councillor rather, Alan Soule, is reminding people or asking to let everyone know if they're in Waihi Beach and need assistance for f- after flooding, go to 99 Beach Road. That's the RSA there. And we'll keep you up to date with that news. But 28 past four, run off my feet with this story here. How long <laughs> is too long for call waiting times? You're sitting there for 20 minutes listening to this. Come my little Venus can't you feel it's an all of us? It's exactly, Ellen. And that was an article raised in Stuff. We also raised a few months back on the panel, Chris Finlayson. He had to endure waiting a whole 60 minutes on hold in New Zealand. So he came on the panel and complained to the country about it. He was ropeable. Uh, and uh, what a response. I've just spent 35 minutes waiting for my ACC to answer my call today. Here, here's one. Gary says... Wait time for in New Zealand over two hours on two occasions, no answer. I had to get up at 5am and make the call. Answered in 15 minutes. Appalling. And I'm a Gold Elite member. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you got a special number? <laughs> 58 minutes to get to talk to someone at Nova for a one-minute conversation. Here's another. My husband spent 35 minutes on the line to ASB to alert into a scam. You'd think with their excessive profits, they may be able to afford more staff to take our call, <laughs> says Jackie. Okay, Alan? Well, my, my answer to this is very, very simple. You just get a call back. Because then you're not sitting there waiting, listening to whoever in dreadful quality. That's the worst thing. The, 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 the music they play sounds like it's been turned up to 11 and it's been played through a single you know, microphone speaker or something. It's just, it's just appalling. It really annoys me. Um, easy peasy. Get a call back. And then you're not sitting around waiting. Sue? Well, it's absolutely infuriating. It's almost like many of these companies, they're sort of putting a wall up. They're, they're sort of trying to discourage us from calling. They're, they're making mm, themselves yep. uncontactable. Yep. Uh, but my suggestion, with a lot of these companies employ armies of PR people, I think they'd be better advised to just employ a few more people to answer the phones or indeed emails. I mean, even if you try to contact them online. Very hard to okay. find anyone mm. to answer. Yep. Here's true. one. I'm an elite airports member and waited one hour, 42 minutes this morning. I tried to get a call back, but the system wouldn't take it, <laughs> says Kay. Um, <laughs> Wallace, another angle, working in those call centres is hell and it pays peanuts. No yeah. wonder they can't keep good staff. Uh, yes. Uh, a Half the time they're employed. And they're, they're, you, you, I say to them, where are you calling from? Oh, it's from India, you know, or the Philippines. Okay. And they are always experiencing longer than usual, you know, wait times. Always. Always. Keep that feedback (laughs) coming. You're on the panel uh, on RNZ National. Time for headlines.